Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Rational Republican. Uh, this is your host, Nick Perlosky, along with James Ball. I'm doing the introduction today because we've got one of my very dear friends, Deanna Rush, has come on the podcast. And okay. we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about Oregon and Washington and local government and all kinds of good stuff. Uh, so, uh, Deanna, first off, thank you very much for your time. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thank you guys for having me. Um, happy Friday, everyone. Hey, so hey, cheers. <laughs> I, yes, cheers. I'm drinking a CBD infused beverage, which is my, my favorite things right now. So it's delicious. So Perfect. I'm drinking tequila. So, yeah, okay. Well, you got me beat, but I'll be more relaxed probably than, you know. I didn't so, do this on, intentionally, but I'm having a nice IPA in our Shelly Bossart Davis glass from when oh, we recorded nice. an episode with yeah. her. So, Shelly, if you're listening, we, we still appreciate that. Nice, nice. <laughs> So, um, okay. So yeah, I, my name is Deanna Rush. I live actually in Camas, Washington, which for those of you in Portland, it's right across the river and about <laughs> five or 10 minutes way. east of 205. Yeah. It's right on the, um, Columbia river. It's called Camas, Washougal is called the gateway to the gorge. So that's what it's called. Mm. So, um, I live in Camas. I actually work in downtown Vancouver, Washington at the new, on the new waterfront. I don't know if anybody's seen that yet, but they're redeveloping oh, yeah. the whole waterfront. Yeah, so we we occupy one of the actually the first office building um, down there, and that's where I work as a lawyer. So I practice family law in Vancouver, um, Southwest Washington, really, and have been doing that for about fifteen years. So um, that's who I am. I've done some local politics. I currently um, am an elected Clark County Charter Review Commission member, um, which is a fifteen member board that's reviewing our county charter, and then. I do a lot of other things too. I don't know. I, it's exhausting to talk about on a Friday. I'm like, oh, I'm like that's everything I did this week. So, <laughs> well, I, a shameless plug. I, I know one of the things uh, was in the pandemic. I would host online bar trivia, and you and your team were just absolute studs at it. They would sweep every question every week, and it was grossly unfair to the other participants. But a, a number of charitable donations were made in y'all's name, so that was that's at least one of the the main important things. Um, and it was a lot of fun too. So. Heck yes. All right. Uh, but I, but you mentioned something in there that I, I definitely do want to talk about and kind of starting on the local politics level. Yeah. Um, what what got you interested, uh, first off, in the law and second off, in the office that you currently hold? Sure. So first with law, it's a funny story. I was actually pre-med in undergrad. Hmm. Um, I, I was at UW. So I was a biochem major. Um, I, I think I, I think I would tell people starting at like the age of five that I was going to be a heart surgeon. And there's actually oh. there's pictures of me wearing like sweatshirts when I'm a kid from like Yale medical school and all this stuff. And so I set my expectations for myself very high. So I went to <laughs> UW, um, was biochem major. And then actually one summer took a, I needed like 
humanities credits because I had all the science and math. So I took this like law for undergrads or I call it law for dummies. That sounds horrible. <laughs> basically like it was you had lawyers from the community who came in and taught an, a class to undergrads that was just like a survey of of legal principles. That was a real, you know, cursory um, review. And I did really well and really enjoyed the class. And one of the professors who was a local attorney actually came up to me and she was like, what are you doing sitting in a lab all day? And I kind of, I did some thinking. I remember calling, I was living in a frat that summer, um, which is what you did in the Greek system. Like, so they let girls move into the fraternities. Yeah. So we had girls around to hang out with like the rush, the rushies who came to rush the parties. So, so that's you, why they asked you in a rush. Well, exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Pun intended. And my mom still regrets that summer because she walked into the frat and saw where we were living and like promptly turned right around. But <laughs> I was living at, at Ta Kappa Epsilon Teaks at UW. And I actually That's remember. Me. Oh, are, are you, were you a Teak? Yes. Look at University of Texas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll have to go was, up and see your old stomping grounds. Yep. I lived at doing teak. bar trivia for a year and you didn't know that you were in the same fraternity. <laughs> we, were in the same, we were in the same one, but I lived at his one. I was a pie right, pie. Right, right. Yeah. I don't think we've talked about Greek system on um, trivia, but anyway, I called my mom that summer and I, I literally called her and I think I was crying and I said, would you guys be mad if I switched from pre-med to pre-law? And she's like, what? So I did finished a pre-law degree in like a year and a half, graduated early actually, and then went to law school. So that was the law, the law part of it. Okay. Cool. What was the other part of the question? Uh, now, I, the, the office that you, you're an elected official. This is, I, James and I preached a day and night on this podcast about how important it is to be involved in local government and, and you're living it. Yeah. So this is the Charter Review Commission is probably about the most kind of procedural, technical, hmm. um, like local government position, it's probably the most technical that I've that I've been in because literally all we're tasked with doing is um, six years ago, I believe, um, Clark County passed a new home rule home rule charter, and so they moved into being a home rule county, and so they went from three commissioners who basically ran the county to a five council, um, the five member council including a chair, and then they hire a professional county manager. And so they went to a different form of government. Um, and in that charter that was adopted by the voters, I, like I said, I think it was six, five, six years ago, it mandated that there had to be a review of the charter within 10 years by a 15 person commission. And so last November, people ran for that commission. And of our four districts in Clark County, so there's four geographic districts, um, people elected three from each of the four and then three at large. So which resulted in the 15. And we've been meeting weekly every Wednesday, weekly, pretty much since about the end of June um, to discuss how the charter is working for the county, how it's not working and to come up with um, proposed amendments to put on the ballot. We have a chance to put on the ballot this fall and next fall wow. um, okay. about hmm. changes to the county charter. So that's what we're working on right now. Interesting. So, I'll say that that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> That's a common, that is a common response that I get. I've had um, to deal with my share of, of bylaws and yep. charters and all sorts of stuff with HOAs and with party politics. And um, wow. I, I mean, bless you for, for taking that on. <laughs> it's an, you know, it's been an interesting, um, I've never served on a, a body this large. So that's interesting. Mm. And then it's just got a really interesting demographic on the on the commission. I mean, people from all different backgrounds, um, all different jobs and just histories. And so it's been really neat um, 
collaborating with people that I didn't know. I knew a lot of the people, but there are some I had never met, never heard of, and have completely probably different um, ideologies than I do. But um, we've collaborated really well, and we've we've been able to arrive at some non-political issues that everyone seems to agree upon. You know what I mean? So th that really is why I get into local politics, period, which is we have so much that tears us apart. Let's instead focus on what we can. I mean, even if it's one thing out of 100, that's better than saying, OK, we disagreed about 99 things. I'd rather talk about what we could agree on. So it's been it's been cool so far. So that's great. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so can I ask what are what are some of the changes that you've seen in Clark County since you've switched forms of government? I, it seems like one of those things where it's like on paper, it's like, okay, whatever, we're going from column A to column B. But I, I would have to imagine in real life and it, the the effects of a number of the citizens and number of the businesses, now, you know, bars, restaurants, everything, like mm -hmm. there have been market changes because of the work that you guys are doing. Yeah. So the, the original freeholders who wrote the original charter that passed, like I said, six years ago, um, they, they wrote the charter to basically, I mean, I think the goal, and I'm just paraphrasing, was to increase and broaden representation and make it so that, um, you know, Clark County is not as small as it was 50, 60 years ago when the board of commissioners was enacted or could even be a hundred years ago. I mean, it's grown by leaps and bounds. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the, the movement I think in cities and counties is to move towards more of like the, the weak council or the, you know what I mean? Where you have more of a professional city or county manager, and then you have the council or the commission that's more of the legislative body, but you, there's a clear like differ, differentiation between the executive and the legislative okay. versus in a non-home rule um, county, the council kind of does both. And so when the freeholders wrote this charter, they were really interested in separating those powers like we do federally so that there's checks and balances, of course. And so the other interesting thing that it did was, you know, some cities and counties elect their city or county manager. Um, hmm. So you think about that and you think about for Clark County, for example, so I don't even know what the budget for the county is, but you figure um, if you had a non-elected, which is something that's been discussed where, or I mean, an elected, so the citizens get a vote on a county manager, anyone in the world could literally pay their fee and become a candidate for that race. And then if they won, they'd be in charge of, you know, running, I think we've got over a thousand employees in the county. So you're running, you know, a thousand perks in business. And the, the fear is like, or the fear was, what if you just, it's a popularity contest and you have someone just not qualified. And so the current charter, they, the, the council appoints the county manager. And so that makes it an appointment versus an elected decision. Um, I gotta so. say, I, I feel like I like that decision. There was, I can't remember where, but there was some election in 2016 where a grossly unqualified person won high office and was just in charge of absolutely everything. And I can't, <laughs> it was, it was somewhere on the East. No, it was a guy from New York won some, he was a businessman or something <laughs> oh. like that, won something. It was. Oh, me. okay. Now I'm catching okay. your thought. Yeah, yeah, cut out, cut out the last thirty seconds where I was being so dense about your joke. I'm all like, I'm all like, who, Nick? Who is it? Come on. That's funny. No, I, I honestly just hear you, hear you talk about that. This is, this is the extent of my local government experience. I, I kept thinking of. Um, uh, uh, Rob Lowe as Chris Traeger in Parks and Recreation and the Amy Poehler character who gets elected to city council, but he as an unelected official is, uh, you know, kind of beholden to nobody and he's yep. able to effectively manage the city, whereas Leslie Nope gets very heavily involved with the politics and yep. often to h hilarious ends. 
Yep. I think that's an interesting case. I mean, the more I pay attention to local politics, especially like lower than the state level, um, just how many different ways you can organize things. You know, you, you just kind of, I don't know, naively, I guess, before I started getting involved and paying attention, assume like there's a mayor and, you know, there, there's and like that's that's the mayor runs the show. But, um, you know, Oregon or Portland in particular gets a lot of, um, I don't want to say flack, but a lot of attention, at least within the circles that I run for being the, uh, the counselor weak mayor type of system, Mm -hmm. the only large city in America that has this. And a lot of the problems that we, that we run into here in Portland is because we don't have a strong mayor. We have these five city councilors who have their own little fiefdoms of bureaus that they're in charge of. And, the mayor is not really any more powerful than any of the other counselors. Um, not by a lot anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, yeah, you guys just changed one from one to another. Um, I know there's, uh, the, I think there's one city, either Beaverton or Hillsboro, where the, the elected mayor is also the, um, the city manager. And mm-hmm. so it's, mm-hmm. it's a paid position, but you're elected and you have both hats. Um, but yeah, then there's then there's the appointed um, city manager, or which is kind of, I think kind of similar to how school boards are run here in Oregon, where you have a a volunteer school board, but then they then there's a, the superintendent who is paid and a professional and not elected, but you know hired essentially. Um, Haley Lowry, PPS school board chair, friend of the podcast. Yeah. We'll have her back. Exactly, exactly. And, and a volunteer. Um, and a just, volunteer. I don't know, just comment. It was interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because the city that I live in, so Camus, I was on city council for a couple of years, and Camus is still actually a strong mayor form of government. So the city of Camus, um, we actually looked at it when I was on council. We did, we had a committee that did a study on um, what the pros and cons would be of moving from a strong mayor to a weak mayor because Camas is one of the only, I don't want to say only, but it's a, it's a rarity in Washington to have a city of over 25,000 that still operates with a strong mayor form of government. And mm-hmm. the reason, and so that some of the, the issues that came up when we looked at it was, so in Camas, we were lucky to have, we had a mayor. So our mayor gets paid for barely nothing, but it's, it could be a full-time job. So I think they make 30, 40,000 a year is what they're paid. Um, we were lucky, though, we had a mayor for like 11 years, uh, two mayors ago, who had the ability to basically serve as a full time mayor and was not worried about making a living because he had a spouse that was able to help with that. And so for a long time, we had a very productive, strong mayor in office because he was able to devote time to it like a full time job. Mm-hmm. The next mayor that we had, well, she had a full time job in Vancouver and so did the best she could. Um, but the issue, you know, the issue that comes up with the strong mayor form is, you know, how are we going to get somebody in there who can do a strong mayor job when you're paying them 30 or 40,000 a year? And so right. that's been the issue here. And we actually had an election in 2019 when when I lost my city council seat, which that's a whole nother thing, which you can ask me, you can ask me about actually, it's great political fodder. But we in 2019 saw a write in candidate for mayor actually beat the incumbent mayor hmm. and the write-in candidate who is now he's won he won and he's now the strong mayor of the city of Camas. and the guy hadn't hadn't had no political experience had never been on a board a commission or anything and i know the gentleman he lives around the corner from me very nice family no experience i think he works in loss prevention at a, a store at the mall maybe is what i believe 
Um, he had great intentions. He was super passionate about it. But be- because it's an elected strong mayor position, somebody with who, without any experience was plopped in there as mayor and has now been in there for a year and a half. And I've always felt kind of bad for the guy because I know what's involved in that position. And I think he got into it and thought, it's great to have passions and hopes and ideas, but this is how government works. And I'm actually in charge and going to make decisions for, you know, for big projects and whatnot. So, you know, that's a, that's a, a thing that happens with a strong mayor form of government is the person that gets elected is in charge. And the, the only way to um, change that is through a recall, which is obviously, you know, an arduous process. And so um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm still not sold on whether I prefer one or the other. I think there's pros and cons to both forms of government. Um, the weak, you know, the weak mayor, strong mayor form or strong mayor, strong council, weak council, however you want to say it. Right. Um, I'm not sold one way or the other because I think there's goods and bads about both. So, so I'd be curious for your thoughts on that, actually, because this is this has come up a couple of times on this on, on, on our podcast is Oregon state legislators make like 35 or 40 K a year. It's it's yep. not it's not, you know, a free job, but it's it's very much not a living wage, especially in, you know, somewhere like Salem uh, or a lot of parts of the state. And I've I've always kind of been of the opinion that you get what you pay for. And if you if you were to raise those salaries, you would have a lot more a lot more qualified candidates with a lot more diverse backgrounds who were able to run. Uh, but obviously, the, then the downside is we we try to you know maintain the idea of like a citizen legislator and somebody who's running because they believe it's in the public good not because they're trying to get rich or they can't get a job somewhere else or something like that yeah. do you i mean do you kind of have a thought of like should we raise the pay of of the mayor and maybe not you know maybe at least have uh, more candidates who who file to to run for the office yeah i mean i think you touched on a good point i mean i think that a lot of people who probably have great ideas and great qualities to bring to local government are dissuaded by running because it's, it's, it's a huge time commitment. And then on top of, you know, a living wage job and a family, I mean, that's, that's impossible to do. And so I do think there needs to be something done. I don't, I don't know if necessarily raising the pay is the right answer, but I also just think this is just another kind of access issue, which is too, I think that, I, you know, I'm a big per- I want to see as diverse of people in government as our population. I mean, that is ideal, right? Because that would be a fair and accurate representation of the citizens. Yeah. And I and I and I do know that the inability to run because of financial need, you know, financial requirements, family requirements, you know, I think it disproportionately affects people from diverse or minority backgrounds. I think that's a fact. And you know, I don't have a citation for that, but I think that it does. So yeah, hundred percent. So I'll, I'll provide a counterpoint to that. So uh, yeah. back a couple of years ago when Lori DeRemer was uh, so former mayor of um, Happy Valley, um, oh, yeah. she was running for state representative and uh, I was knocking doors for her and ended up having a conversation with her and had brought up the, the conversation of pay of how this, um, you know, how she was able to be mayor of a, you know, medium sized town in Oregon and not get paid for it. So that's mm-hmm. a volunteer position. Um, in fact, there's only two mayors in the state of Oregon that are paid. One is Portland. And I think the other one is, I, I think it's Beaverton, the one where you're also the city manager. But yeah. anyway, um, talking with, uh, with Lori, and she was saying she actually preferred not getting paid. Hmm. Now, she, she had a business and she's got a husband who had money, so she didn't really need the salary. But she said it made things a lot simpler because she could work 15 to 20 hours a week as the mayor. And she didn't have people coming up to her saying, I pay your salary. What are you doing not working today? 
you know, whereas if she was paid, she'd basically, and like, she wouldn't get paid a lot. It would be $25,000 a year probably. And, but she would, they would expect her to be in the office 40 hours a week. And she's like, I would rather just not get paid. I get the flexibility. I can, I can work as much as needs to be done um, without people coming after me and trying to throw rocks. So anyway, the counterpoint to that. I get that point of it. And actually I'm um, a Happy Valley native. And so Lori was my mayor for a number of years. Oh Oh, yeah. I'm Lori and I are Facebook friends. I think the last time I, I don't think I've talked with her since the last election, but yeah, no, Lori is great. And I appreciate that point because I think that there are people who probably feel that way. I think that I would probably feel that way when, if, if I was in a paid, you know, semi-paid office again, because that's kind of how I would operate too. Um, but, but I think, again, I think I have probably the, the privilege to operate that way. And so, um, but I think that, yeah, I think there's good points on both. I mean, you know, it's funny because some people ask me, you know, oh, do you want, do you ever want to run for higher office someday? And usually my answer to that is you can't pay me enough. And so, I mean, that, you know, there, that's a whole nother thing, but, you know, people look at what, like, for example, our Congresswoman, Jamie Herrera Butler, you know, what, if you look at her benefits package, you know, in writing, I mean, that's a sweet deal, right? I mean, you get your budget for two offices, you make X number of dollars for, you know, your benefits and you got the healthcare and all that. Not, no, not even enough. Not even. (laughs) And, you know, I like my work where I kind of control what I make. So the more I work, the more money I make. And I feel like that's kind of the, what it all breaks down to, right? The harder you work, the more money you get paid. So I think you, I think you make a good point with the privilege thing. I mean, someone like you or Lori has the privilege of being able to work a 15 to 20 hour a week job unpaid. Yep. Um, whereas most people don't. And yep. um, to Nick's point, so I, I'm, I'm, you know, generally on the side of pay people more, pay people what they're worth. Um, but I just kind of wanted to throw that in there for, for discussion's sake. Just to well, throw no, a I, wrench in the gears. <laughs> no, and I appreciate, and I will say one thing, and I think that your point is why people, I'm a firm believer that the people that have the ability and the time to give back need, need to be the ones who do that. And so, um, you know, I'm the one in my friends group that's always trying to fire up other people to like run for office or volunteer for this because, you know, my friends do have time. They don't enjoy it as much as I do maybe, but I mean, they have the time and the the ability to do that. So people like Lori, you know, I, I always appreciated when she was mayor and then when she ran for, you know, her, the various offices and, and I was always a supporter of her and I hope she runs for something um, again, because I just think that she's a, she's relatable. She's real. She's got a great background. I just, and she, you know, I mean, I think that it would be really interesting to get someone from like the new happy Valley and like the, you know, not, I say she's been there forever, but you know, the expanded happy Valley um, down in it down in Salem, because um, it's been interesting, you know, that district since they redrew the lines in the last couple of elections and stuff, it's been really interesting getting the people that have gotten elected because I didn't ever feel when I lived in that um, district politics aside, I didn't feel that, certain representatives really represented that district. So they might've been voted in from that district, but they didn't have like long-term ties to that area or they were from, you know, Southeast Portland versus Happy Valley or Clackamas. I think the current representative lives in Happy Valley if I'm, I think so, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't know her um, when she got elected. I don't know how long she's lived there. So I'm not familiar with her. I think she only lived there for a year before. I think she yeah, was. I think she long. was one of the um, one of the uh, okay, what geez. is it? In, in, engage or promote or whatever Oregon yeah, so, 
the 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 yes. female um, one that the Democrats run that that uh, she was one of those. So she she was. Yeah, so she was picked to to run for that seat. I um, and that year. program must have gotten lost in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they didn't call you. Yeah, but we can, I mean, we can probably. This is, would be the third podcast in a row where we're talking about gerrymandering. But um, I think that's why. I, I I mean, you look at the map of Happy Valley, and that's what it is. It's it's Happy Valley, which is a a mostly conservative, or at least you know fifty five forty five. Yep. Republican leaning. But then the district just comes up and takes a little chunk of East Portland, which is heavily Democrat, and it's just enough to push it over the line, and and Democrats win it. Yep, so, and I experienced, um, yeah, I experienced that. Um, so, oh eight, I walked, I knocked doors with Linda Flores, um, and then it, went, it must have been twenty ten. That was Patrick Sheehan's first race, and so I walked with him and stuff, and he won, obviously, and then when he lost the, you know, the reelection, it was because they had, I mean, I firmly believe it was because they redistricted. They drew him out. Yeah. And they, and you know, it's funny because when Patrick ran the first time, so my parents used to live out in Estacada on a big five acre property with a huge house. And so they threw a big fundraiser for him when he, his first election, um, that was lovely. And they like redistricted and they totally pushed that. So all of rural Oregon city and Estacada, I think was put into Bill Kenimer's district. And so mm. Um, when Patrick's re-election cycle came up, my stepdad was like, wait, what? And so it totally removed that whole rural component. That was a big backstop of, of I know, Patrick's campaign. You know, he he did a lot out in Estacada and out there because they, there were big supporters out there. Um, but yeah, when it completely removed that and it became, you know, Happy Valley and then a lot more of Portland, it was just, it's, yeah, I mean, I, Shamia Fagan. But don't even, yeah, <laughs> cut this out, but don't even get me started. Yeah. <laughs> we, well, I'm curious. Th- there are good Democrats, and we've got we've had a number of Democrats that we like on this podcast. Shimia Fagan is one of them. That's, yeah, have we've, you, we've have you had her, her on? No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. She would not come on with us. But we, we've knocked her before. Like, God yeah. bless. You do what you do. But I just, yeah. I don't think she's good at what she does. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I was, I'm, you know, it's been interesting because, now that I, since I've been living in Washington, I mean, I always worked up here. So I was always familiar with politics up here. Um, now that I've been living up here, I go back and forth about which state I think is more of a mess. Both have, <laughs> you know what I mean? They both have their people. They both have their crazies. They both have their, you know, issues. And yeah, so that's, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's actually one of the one of the like real serious arcs I'd, I'd love to, to learn a little bit more about is. Uh, so I, I'm an outsider. I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. I lived in Texas for 10 years. I've only been in Oregon since 2015. I'm I'm an outsider. And I, I you know, arrive at this place that I love, Portland. And we do all the hiking in the gorge and the restaurants and everything. And it, it seems very strikingly similar to, to Washington. Like I, the, the two states are, are very similar. And we have uh, the Republicans here just seem to do worse uh, republicans in washington i think do poorly but less poorly than they do here and i just from like a thirty thousand foot view i'd love to know what's your what's that like what's what's the difference between the two states and why is it that republicans up there do can can, can do slightly better and can sometimes win statewide office and you know can maybe kind of make a difference versus down here it's we're just seem to be permanently consigned to the minority yeah i think I mean, you know, having lived in two of the biggest counties in Washington, so Clark County and then Spokane County, um, which are, I think, both are in the top five counties in the state, um, both of which are pretty strong Republican counties. 
I think the difference is, you know, you don't have that in Oregon. So in, in Washington, you really have two pretty well-organized counties um, okay. that do put forward decent candidates. So for, I mean, two long-term congresswomen, so you have Kathy McMorris Rogers out of Spokane um, and she's been in there since I was in law school. So she's been in there for at least 15 to 20 years. And then Jamie Herrera Butler out of, you know, Clark County has been in there for eight at this point. So you do have, um, I think, you know, you do have pretty well organized political parties in both um, counties. Now they might be a little messy and I don't just, I don't agree with them, but I mean, you, they have um, well-funded organized parties. And so I think what I've seen is um, whereas like in Oregon, there's obviously the, the, you know, the outlying areas that are very red, um, mm-hmm. I don't think the population density is there. And those people, yeah. sometimes those people are not politically motivated. You know what I mean? So I think uh, that would be my opinion. I mean, you both, both states have the, you know, the, the Portland or Seattle that really can, you know, runs the show for the state. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the case when, when those are, you know, the business epicenters of each state. I mean, that's just going to be the, the, the fact of the matter, but now I think that would be my kind of observation about that. I think at least on a federal level and then, you know, statewide, I think I'm trying to think, you know, statewide, I don't know that the makeup in Washington in the state house is much different than in Oregon. I mean, I would, I would guess right now they're both Democrat majorities. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, you know, um, down here in Clark County, like looking at our state reps, for example, you know, across the, between our state house and state Senate, I'm just trying to think, you know, the majority of them from Clark County are going to be have an R next to their name. And that's, that's always the case. Um, and I would guess the same for Spokane again, you know, but then it's the rest of the, of the state. Um, yeah. Interesting. I was reading an article a while back that was kind of, it was, it was a left-leaning article as, as many of them are. And it was talking about how, how Oregon, how the Oregon legislature is dysfunctional compared to Washington and yeah. how Washington can get stuff done. And, you know, Oregon has to deal with these nasty Republicans. And rereading the article, it kind of boiled down to, it's like, oh, well, you know, in Oregon, we have these walkouts, which shut everything down. And well, it turns out Washington has a 50% quorum. So mm-hmm. there's no point in walk, walking out. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, one, the other thing they mentioned was um, that the uh, reading the bills allowed. So it's in the Oregon constitution that you have to read the entire text of the or the bill aloud before you can vote on it. Mm-hmm. And the Republicans had been using that as a, a, a delay tactic so that mm-hmm. um, Rep- uh, Democrats couldn't uh, push through their entire agenda. And well, Washington doesn't have that in their, <laughs> in their uh, um, constitution. Read by, yeah. You can read by title only. Yeah. Right. So, you, yeah. I mean, they, they've, they've waived it now and you can, yep you know, just do it by the title. But um, I almost wonder if the Republicans in Washington would be a little bit more feisty, a little bit more um, push back, be able to push back against the liberal agenda if they had some of the tools that um, the, that Republicans in Oregon have because of our 66% um, quorum or the, the reading bills allowed. Yeah, interesting. And I, and I will say that's I, Christine Drazen is the, the House Minority Leader, is the, mm-hmm. the, the leader of the Republicans. And it, she, too, is a friend of the podcast. We've had her on. And it's it has been phenomenal to 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 watch her over the last two years. She's taken the reins. And it's yeah. definitely a, a the, like that is 
like, I don't want to say a hit piece or activist journalism, but OPB put that piece out there. It was like Washington versus Oregon. And here's what oh, Washington looks like. Yeah. And it's, and here's the big bad Oregonians. And all they do is they're, they're the James balls. They throw wrenches in the gears. Like they're not trying to be productive <laughs> or anything. And, and I, I mean, James, you're absolutely right. It's just like, well, no, it's just the tools that, are different. Yeah. yeah the, the folks in Washington don't have the same capabilities as what they do in Oregon. So you have to lie down a lot more and there's a lot more, Democrat left-leaning bills that get passed when there's a Democrat governor, Democrat Senate, Democrat House. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you guys being right across the river from Portland and mm-hmm. Portland has been dealing with all sorts of nonsense the last uh, 18 months or so between riots and, and uh, well, a lot of riots. Um, <laughs> what's, it, what's it like being a conservative, mostly conservative um, city, I guess, being this close? I mean, Vancouver Camas, I don't, I don't know if this is offensive or not, but it's almost like a Portland suburb to the sense that, that it's just kind of mm-hmm. just across the, the river. Um, mm-hmm. I've heard it referred to that way. I don't, you, there are probably Vancouverites who would not appreciate that uh, description, true. but um, do, do you see, do you feel the influence of Portland on, on your community at all? I mean, when the city's burning, do you, uh, this stuff happen up there too? I mean, yeah, so you know Vancouver. So where I work in Vancouver is d- literally right across the I five bridge, and so um, I'm right smack in downtown Vancouver. And certainly over the last fifteen years, I've seen the county change, um, and you know the close proximity to Portland is obviously part of it. I mean that's just that, that has to be because you have people moving up here from Portland, you have um, people driving to work up here from Portland. You know as the city has grown. There's just more people in Vancouver. So it's kind of interesting because although the county as a whole, so like I call Clark County kind of purplish red, if that makes sense. And, but then Vancouver, the city of Vancouver itself is very um, blue. And so that's kind of an interesting dynamic. So then when you have like the state reps and the state Senator from Clark County that are, I think would, would call themselves a Democrat, they're going to be from the city, like that area. Um, So I think Vancouver, yeah, you, I think you see some ripple effects from Portland, um, Vancouver had a couple of protests, you know, Vancouver has had some um, demonstrations, you know, at various parks and whatnot um, for the, you know, nothing on the level that Portland has seen. Um, but definitely, you know, there have been there's been a noticeable change um, out where I live in Camas. You know, it's kind of why I live out here. Um, I enjoy the suburbs and I like to be kind of away from the fray a little bit. And that includes and not only Portland, but Vancouver. So I wouldn't live in Vancouver Um just because it is a little too urban for me. I also work there and I don't really like to live where I work, you know, but um, no, not so out in Camas, um, not really, you know, we had um, some local groups did do organize some protests over the last year. Um, there was a couple that were made some local news and stuff because we had um, some like um, black lives matters groups came out and we had some blue lives groups came out and I think they were, I think they were well-intentioned, but they ended up clashing a couple of times and, um, it was pretty, you know, people with flags and honking and loud noises. So, I mean, there was a little bit of that, but nothing, nothing to the level that Portland seen. But I think if you were to ask people in Vancouver, Clark County in, as a whole, you know, are you worried about Portland creep or anything like that? I think people would say, yeah. I mean, if you ask people in Camas, are you worried about, are you worried about Vancouver creep? People in Camas would probably say, yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that's interesting to me is how do you keep the the cities distinct from one another and, um, when I find out the answer, I'll tell you. So, 
Well, well and that's, our, I, we've got a lot of friends who are, yeah, mayor of Sandy, Stan Pulliam, yeah. friend of the pod. He worries about Portland creep. I, uh, another friend of ours, a former mayor of Happy Valley, Rob Wheeler, worries yep. about Portland creep. There's, uh, you know, Tiger, Tualatin, Wilsonville. There's all kinds of like, yeah, it's just, it, it, it starts to seep down there. And it's just like. Well, and it's, and I want to be clear too, that I have, there's nothing against Portland. And if people in, and, and I have nothing against the protests, quite frankly, or free freedom of speech. Um, I do, I don't, I wouldn't damage property and do some of the things that have happened, but I've had conversations with friends of mine who are involved in protests and friends of mine who are persons of color. And they've, I've been, I've been seeking education on why certain people, people feel the need to um, do things to get attention or to make their point. And so even though I wouldn't do it or don't agree with it, I've been just trying to learn why people do things. And so I've been trying to view it as kind of a learning process because it's, it's not my world. And so, um, you know, without getting into too much, you know, what happened last year and stuff and all that, because there's so much, you know, opinions about that. I just, I'm going to support anyone who's passionate about anything. Um, I just want people to be respectful in the way that they communicate their message. That's really all I ask for. So we we did a Black Lives Matter episode, which is nice. I, like perhaps the height of I, I don't know irony or hypocriticness or whatever. <laughs> Two white guys who so I was like, let's talk about these Black Lives Matter. But I, I I think we both very much agreed with you. And I for like when I think about all all the rioting and all the destruction, everything. When I think about last summer, the one thing that pops in my head was one of the the first days of the protests. There was a. Um, uh, there was a number of folks who got together and they they went across the Burnside Bridge and they all laid down as if they were bodies. And it created this, uh, this somebody, somebody took a picture. I, it must have been with a drone or something like that. But somebody took a picture from from up above. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just this the most beautiful and the most haunting image that I, that I've literally ever come across. And this like if you are a black American, this is what your world is like is bodies after bodies after bodies. And I, it, it comes across the news every day. And I, so I, I'm right there with you in that a, having a, uh, an outlet to voice your opinion on how strongly you feel that this is wrong. I, this is James and my's outlet is we're, we're experiencing it right now. And we can talk about mm-hmm. all the wrong things that we see, which is we're Republicans. So there's a lot, there's a lot of wrongness going on these days, but it's, it, it definitely is one of those things where it's like, I'm, you know, I, I can't say that I support destruction of property or as you know, some of the criminal acts or whatever, but I also like, I, I don't support some of the, like, there's been a lot of over-policing. There's been a lot of like, just, you know, start out at the, at the very top of your, I don't know, or your response protocols or whatever. And it's just like, there's so much about this, that, it, that the, the, the actual message gets lost in how the message is being communicated. And it's like, that's, you, you got to stop focusing on stuff like I, that. I thought it was really interesting that you said that you're using this as a learning experience. And I, I think that that is something that a lot of Republicans can, um, can learn a lesson from. Yeah. I think that there's a lot, a lot of the reason we get a lot of flack on the, on the race front is not so much racism as it is just ignorance and not being, not knowing what it's like to be unwhite, not white. Um, so I think if you look at people and their actions and you assume a positive intent, assume that what they're doing is positive, And then you try to work around of how, why are they doing this? You know, what, what is their goal? What are they trying to accomplish and, and why? Mm-hmm. And 
um, it's very easy to just kind of sit back and say, oh, you're doing this because you want to be destructive and you want to destroy America and blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, and I'm sure there are some people like that, but for the most part, it's, it's, uh, it's an education thing. Mm -hmm. It's, we don't really know. You have to, you have to think about it and you have to talk to people and you have to listen. And I think that that is uh, kind of what I've taken from this whole thing. And um, what I think more Republicans should do. You're here. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, this kind of that, the, the theme of what you just said is kind of why, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I've ever left the party or anything like that. I mean, I'm definitely probably less conservative than I was 20 years ago, but I think that's just life experience. And in the field that I'm in, you know, I, I work with so many different people and families from so many different backgrounds um, that my frustration with a lot of the Republican Party over probably the last, I mean, maybe 20 years, but I think in the last like 10 years, more so than anything since, you know, the Tea Party movement, probably, I just have a big problem with the hangups on social policies and domestic issues that to me are so out, I, like, I don't even know how to explain it, but, the, you, you know, the hot topic issues, it's like, that's why there are some of those that I just cannot get, I cannot agree with. Um, because they are in direct contradiction with people I love and people I support. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that's going to be a huge, huge problem for me. And it's funny because, you know, speaking of our, our friend who was elected in 2016, just kidding. But I mean, <laughs> speaking of him, you know, when people would ask me, why didn't you vote? You know, why didn't you vote for him? Why don't you support him? Because I didn't vote for him either time. Um, and I didn't, I didn't. So I always will support That's, our president. That makes three of us. Yeah, I, 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 hate, I hate that term. I, I agree with you. I, you know, I will, I will support Trump. I'll support Biden. I'll support yep. Kate Brown. I'll, I will support our leadership. Um, I may not vote for them, but I will support them in, and and hope that hope for the best. Hope yep. that they are successful. So anyway, yeah. And no, and so when people when I talk to people about that, you know, I indicate cut like that, and I say, you know, we're all successful if he, if he's successful. But when people were like, well, you oh, you don't like him because of this, or you must not like him because of that, and well, you know, Donald Trump just says he, he says what he means, and he gets it done, and he he's not a politician, you know, all those things we heard from people who were fans of his. My biggest problem was how he treated other people, and wow. specifically people from groups that have been traditionally treated like crap. And I'm I mean I'm just saying that. And he laid it on thicker. And to me, that is just if if I meet someone on the street who treats people like that, they you will not have a fan in me. And so that was my biggest problem with him. And I think over I think that I ultimately think that I think deep down the Republican Party that I knew, which was a Reagan Republican Party that I grew up with my parents being, you know, um, I think ultimately deep down that party loves people. I think at the at the mm -hmm. at the bottom of it, I really do. Because, but I think that it's gotten away from that. And I think that it's gotten away from being ultimately about what's, what's going to help the most people and hurt the least amount. And if that's the formula we're using, like you can't, you can't go wrong there. If that's the formula you're using for every decision, but no, it's, you know, and I know that in, in higher politics, there's so many things, you know, pandering to special interests and who's paying for this and that. So I realized there's a lot of that going on. And so, you know, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna to the fact that let's just all be, you know, get along and be nice. But um, I, you know, ultimately when I step back and look at any decision that I'm making from a political position or from an elected position or whatever, that's really what I'm looking at. And I think it surprises people a lot because I think when people hear, you know, that I was, I used to be fairly conservative and was very involved in the Republican party 
you know, now I consider myself probably a, you know, a right leaning independent is probably how I'd call it. You know, up here, we don't, we don't have to declare political parties up here. So that's kind of nice. Cause I just kind of hang out and see who's, who's, who's that. So, but, You're on the right podcast then. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's been a big, you know, I'm, I'm very, I'm fairly fiscally conservative. And as far as, you know, defense and security goes, um, I'm pretty, you know, conservative on those as well. It's just become like the social and the domestic issues when I, where I'm like, you know, fix, fix our national debt or make our country safer. Let's not worry about all the rest of this stuff. That's, that's how I've always been specifically in the last 10 years. So I was well, here, listening here. recently to the um, Joe Rogan podcast who had uh, Dan Crenshaw on Congressman okay. from Texas. And mm-hmm. one of the comments he made that I thought was just fantastic was there are no policy solutions. There are only trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And if you look at every policy decision as a trade-off, you have to look at who benefits and who is harmed and you have to decide, is it worth it? And um, I think some of, uh, to your point, a lot of the things that the Republican party stands for um, on the, on the social side, I mean, for instance, uh, being opposed to gay marriage, uh, what's that trade-off? You know, who is being harmed? A lot of people are being harmed and who benefits Nobody. I mean, really, there's, there's no one benefits from be, from gay marriage being illegal. Um, but a lot of people are harmed. Well, it's a, it's a, I don't, I have a problem also from, I have a problem with people who legislate from a place of moral or religious stance. And I, and I realize, I realize that that we're all innately biased because of our life experience. I realize that that plays a part in who you are and the decisions that you make. But when I, when, when, when my observation is that people are opining or legislating on an issue because of a deep-seated moral or religious belief. And don't get me wrong, I will respect every moral and religious belief people have. But the problem is, is that that can't translate so drastically into the decisions you're making in office. I mean, you can have those positions, um, you know, I mean. It's it's how you live your personal life versus how you tell other people to live theirs. Yep. You know, yeah, I, I'm I'm evangelical Christian. I mean, yeah. I, there are certain things that I believe in my personal life that I don't expect anyone else to believe. I mean, yep. unless you are of the same you know religious persuasion as I am, in which case we can have a different discussion about that. But from a political standpoint, you look at who you're harming and who you're benefiting, and yep. like you said, do do the thing that benefits the most people and harms the fewest, and is better for the for the nation, state, whichever. In, in general. And I don't think you'll very, very often will go wrong. I'll yeah. say in my personal life, one of my beliefs is that this is a great podcast and I very much don't <laughs> expect anybody else to believe with me on that. <laughs> but I, I will say we, uh, I've run out of Shelly Bossert Davis IPA. And I think we've, we're just about out of time on, on our episode here. Uh, but we, we always end our show, Deanna, by asking our guest who their favorite Republican is. And it can be any past, present, future, if you, if you know somebody in the future, uh, Washington State, <laughs> Oregon, uh, national. Uh, but uh, who do you got? Who's your favorite Republican? Do you want to guess? I want to. I mean, besides us, Ronald Reagan. Obvious answer. It's not Reagan. Not Reagan. Uh, Herrera Butler. Let's. No. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Calvin Coolidge. George Bush. Oh, George there you Bush. go. Senior or junior? W. Junior. Junior. Okay. Oh, okay. Would not have I have, that. I have been, and it's not for it's not necessarily for political reasons. Although I, 
didn't mind him as a president, but also didn't agree with every decision. But <laughs> I've long really enjoyed, I really liked the Bush family and I've done a lot of studies about them just for fun over the years and, and kind of reading about the family. I think his parents were phenomenal. Number one, I think they were just both outstanding people. His dad was not the best president, but that's a whole nother thing. But I think they were, you know, it's, I just think they're a, a great family. I love the stuff that him and his wife has have done in, in retirement. I don't know if you saw, he was on the Today Show the other morning and led a naturalization ceremony in the middle of um, Rockefeller Center Plaza. Oh, wow. So I just love this stuff. I think he doesn't take himself too seriously in retirement. I love his friendship with other people that, you know, then he gets a lot of flack about, which I'm like that. And I love people that are willing to not worry about who cares. And like, if you're friends with someone, that's a different whatever than you i love that about him and so i just i think i think he probably is a pretty cool guy who'd be pretty cool to just sit down and have a chat with i i will say i james and i about a year and a half ago went to a naturalization ceremony it's probably top three most moving experiences of my own life and i I say this as somebody who lived in el paso who lived you know four feet from the border but i in terms of george w bush specifically every anytime he gets together with michelle obama the the two of them just seem positively (laughs) giddy to spend time and it's one of those like very conservative very liberal very different agendas i obviously barack obama he won the presidency by attacking George W. Bush mercilessly, but but it, it's one of those things where it can transcend politics, and yet you have very different ways, but you're trying to both make the world a better place. And I I I think that history will look better on George W. Bush than even you know what people on the left uh, a lot of times yeah. do now. Yeah, no, I think so completely, and I kind of liken it to you know I I'm a divorce attorney, obviously, and so I'm going toe to toe with attorneys all day and on cases, but then most of us are friends. And so it's funny because we'll battle it out in court and then we'll go out for happy hour or lunch later. And actually I've had some clients sometimes who are like, wait, are you friends with my spouse's attorney? <laughs> and I'm like, like, we're not in cahoots, but I tell people it, it benefits the practice. It benefits the profession and it benefits your case. If we're getting along and working congenially, because then things are going to go smoother and cost a lot less money. And so yeah. I kind of feel the same with politics, whether it's current people or, retired people, you know, current people, the people that work both sides of the aisle, those are the people who get stuff done. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. That's, that's a wonderful answer. I do believe that's the first time we've gotten George W. Bush as an answer to that question. We've had, I don't know. We don't get a lot of repeats. We don't get a lot of repeats. It's interesting. That's nice. We appreciate, we appreciate the answer, the thoughtful discussion and, uh, and the episode as a whole. I, I, think this was a good one and uh <laughs> listeners we hope you agree let us know but uh till next time thanks for listening to the rational republican podcast your hosts are james ball and nick perlosky the show today is brought to you by ProLift garage doors of portland serving the greater portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs if you'd like to get in touch with the show you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on facebook twitter or instagram You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.